You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Hey crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today let's talk about an old school skill, kind of an outdoorsy thing, uh, scout craft, woodcraft, actually river craft here. We're talking about uh, how to read a river, like an old school river pilot. Um, we'll begin with a uh, few extracts from the diary of William Calk, C-A-L-K, and this uh, diary extract of 1775. Uh, see, Daniel Boone had already blazed a route dubbed the uh, Wilderness Road from the settlements in the east through forest, mountains, and numerous rivers into what was then called the Kentuck, K-E-N-T-U-C-K-E. And uh, Calk's diary itself, his, his spelling is to this promised land, he spells it as C-A. Uh, I-N-T-U-C-K, but actually at this time, this Kentuck or Kentuck or Kentucky uh, territory and dark and bloody ground was also known as. You can think of this as being uh, what is uh, in modern uh, times, uh, Kentucky, eastern Tennessee, uh, portions of uh, uh, western Virginia, and a bit of the, the Carolinas, this whole Cumberland Plateau area. And this was a rough and rugged region. Actually, it's uh, actually where I reside and spend most of my time whenever we're doing any sort of lots of outdoorsy sorts of uh, things through these mountains and these tons of rivers actually you know tennessee is land of many rivers i mean we got over a thousand miles of non-repeating coastline lots and lots of river and people with good uh watercraft uh, uh river craft were, were highly valued now the uh, hazards were many both natural and indigenous attack cox journals tell us of many times people have turned back not just because of the natural hazards more often than not because of the constant uh, attack and or uh, threat of attacks uh, I'm going to give you a few of the selections. There's copious selections within his journal uh, referring uh, regarding rivers, fording them, ferrying and the hazards that no one uh, looked forward to. I mean, of course, obviously, the, drow- the dangers of drowning, loss of property, roars on the table. And as any good skirmisher knows, catching an enemy at the river is a prime time for attack. So let alone you trying to figure out how to do this, you're also going, well, if they're going to come down on me, this is uh, likely the way it's going to be. Now, good rivermen at the time were a much valued frontier resource, whether it be men in, who were good in uh, canoes or pirogues, some pronounced as pierogies, flatboats, killboats, ferries, or uh, these people were called river pilots, P I L O T S. Uh, Calk in his diary spells it P I L A T E. And a lot of his uh, diary, which is remarkable, took the time to record many of these ideas. There's, uh, it's rife with what we would call misspellings today, and I'm. Uh, I'll, I'll give a link if you want to take a look at the extract so you can see how he was spelling many of these things. I actually have a text version of this to look at, but I will just, uh, you know, I'll drop the dialect and just read to you uh, as, as it's written. Anyway, uh, these river pilots, they could read lines, uh, that is, where to ford, where not to ford, where to float, where not to float, where to walk, where to set to, and numerous other val- valuable rivering frontier skills. I mean, how to lay an ambush, how not to lay an ambush. Uh, anyway, on to a few of these extracts. Uh, April, Saturday the 1st. This morning, there is ice at our camp half an inch thick. We start early and travel this day along a very bad hilly way across one creek where the horses almost got mired, some filled in. And all with their loads, we cross the Clinch River and travel till late at night and camp on Cove Creek, having two men with us uh, that were pilots, unquote. By the way, I should say, I have canoed, kayaked, and swam many stretches of this Clinch River myself, and I can vouch for the terrain. I've tasted it. Uh, there's some some aspects of it's absolutely 
astonishing to think about these people were doing this without, you know, modern gear. Back to the diary. Monday the 3rd, we uh, start early, travel down the valley, cross Powell's River, go through the woods without any track, uh, cross some bad hills, get into Henderson's Road Camp on a creek in Powell's Valley. Okay, back to me talking. Likewise, I have canoed, kayaked, and backcountry camped along the Powell's River and in Powell's Valley. It's absolutely gorgeous, rife with bald eagles, gorgeous country. Now, my feet, keep in mind, was one of pleasure doing so with my entire household on pack mules or in wagons with a constant threat of attack. Hell, that's a whole new world out there. It's, it's, I, it's hard to imagine how that was even done. Next diary extract. Sunday, the 16th, cloudy and warm. We start early and go on about two miles down the river and then turn up a creek that we crossed about 50 times. Some very bad fords with a great deal of very good land on it. In the evening, we get over the waters of Kaintuck and go a little down the creek. And there we camp, keeping a sentinel the fore part of the night. It rains very hard all night. Unquote. Now, that last passage refers to 50 crossings in a single day. The entire journey in the diary refers to over 350 fordings. All right. Now, these river crossings, in my own experience of the terrain, can be anything from a mere six-foot span upwards to, uh, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile of water to traverse. This is all moving water, and moving water is a serious matter. See, the power of a river lies in a simple but terrifying uh, relationship. Now, here we go. Here's your math. Here's your physics. As the speed of the water doubles... The size of the particle it can carry goes up by a factor of 64. Now, let me repeat that. Get our head wrapped around it. As the speed of the water doubles, the size of the particles it can carry goes up by a factor of 64. That's with each doubling of speed. We've got some water moving at one mile per hour. Then uh, we take that to two miles per hour. Each time, there's going to increase by a factor of 64. Now, to bring this to the fore of your mind... We've all driven our vehicle through water, right? It's usually going to be still water. To keep uh, this to the mind of your four, six inches of water moving at speed can sweep a car away. That's more than enough. We've, we've driven through that sort of thing before. Six inches are all required to move a car, let alone feet, let alone horses, let alone wagons. Water depth is usually the only factor considered by river rookies or by those in urban flood conditions. That's how often we see people swept away. It's not just the flood itself. It's uh, assuming that doesn't look that deep in the depth. That is not the key. We know that all the time. Often, whenever we're seeing people, uh, you know, white water rafting or kayaking, most of that water uh, would be, if it weren't moving at flow, you could wade some of this. You could be up to your chest. Very seldom is there a deep pool or hole in it. What is this? It's the speed, it's the power, it's the force. River pilots were factoring depth, speed, footing, entry points, exit points, scouting downriver for exit points for when the inevitable mishap occurred, and a myriad other concerns. Since a river moves faster as you move away from its banks towards the center, a single step from, from imaginable uh, shallow edge can take a person into water that is only fractionally deeper and faster, but more than powerful enough to steal them away and drown them long before they've had the time to appreciate the ruthless physics. We've got to keep that in mind. Rivers move faster as you move from the way from the banks. There's an assumption that because you're doing well right there, yeah, I waded out to my shins or my knees, I'm okay. So it's going to be, uh, this, we assume it's going to be a con we move through. It ain't. River pilots knew never to judge a river by what a test of the banks felt like. River physics dictates that the shallowing at banks will result uh, results because of friction. That friction translates to a slowing of the water. Now, the slowing leads to underestimating the rise in speed and forces when one moves from bank to river center. 
Another factor contributing to assuming that this is a good place to cross is that banks can give the illusion of being faster in a more turmoil than what you see at River Center. Often we have this phenomenon of uh, we've got so much moving water here in eastern Tennessee and the uh, Kentucky and such. Uh, we can see white water along the friction banks. These shallow friction banks some, sometimes allow water to effervesce, that is to give some white water appearance as the uh, oxygen moves through it. And that gives us the assumption of speed. We see it bubble up around a rock and all this thing. Oh, this is really fast water. And we look out towards the center and it looks far more calm. In the, if the test weight in this area of white water leads one to believe you can stand freely against this force, there is an assumption that river center with no perceived effervescence in the water is going to be easier. See, often that effervescence on the bank, that white water is the result of the water contacting obstruction, you know, locks, rocks, etc. Uh, etc. This uh, uh, these little obstructions close to the bank. This permits the water to become infused with oxygen and thus effervesce. As we move from the shallow bank, the obstructions no longer rise to the surface. The water is deeper out there. The effervescent banks has already revealed this is a river at speed, and there's no chance in hell that river is going to slow down as we move from the friction points. Always faster out towards the center. And we've got to keep in mind, there's, uh, the center of the river may not always be what we assume to be direct center. Because uh, we know as we look at rivers uh, bend and oxbow and move along and have so many cutbacks along the way. The center is actually something called a thalweg, T-H-A-L-W-E-G, uh, where the center can be a little bit off-center at times, and that's part of good river reading is finding out where exactly that center is going to be. We don't have time to get into how to do that, but there's a way to uh, kind of predict it from shore by a bit more reading. Same thing as you can actually figure out how far your line is going to be in crossing without actually being able to shoot a line across or with that GPS coordinates to go how far across this is. There's so many small little so-called mathematical hacks that, you know, these early scouts are doing a lot of Indian scouts are doing just using fingers to go oh this is going to be this far and if they could paste that line on the the ground they could tell show people this is going to be easy this ain't going to be easy uh so we got to keep in mind back speed will be towards the center what is fast bank side is going to be faster as we lose footing and move out towards the center river pilots never advise such a fording point um, but this is just what this is just one of the hundreds of tips and tactics and rivercraft known by these early rough and ready frontiersmen. Every body of water from shallow creek to wide river was seen as a book to be read, a book whose story could tell the difference between life and death to those who were literate enough to read this wondrous water Bible. Now, today's extract is coming from uh, one of our uh, uh, extracts of uh, Scoutcraft and Rivercraft and Woodcraft tips and tactics from our upcoming book called Rough and Ready, Old School Ways for New School Adventurers. I mean, not only are we looking at rough school, old school combat, you know, and the fighting, the, the weapon, the empty hand and such. Uh, along the way, there's so many, uh, there's such a wealth of knowledge uh, about how to read the land and how to interact with the land along the way. It just seems a, a shame to separate them and leave them out. This is our uh, part of our special forces operatives. They knew how to fight and survive and do well in combat. They also know how to engage with the land. So it would be, seems this due to the same service of this old school way is by presenting, hey, I think your scout craft is part and parcel uh, for all this. Anyway, if you want to see a text version of this, I'll put a link here in those uh, show notes so you can go over there and take a look at it. Uh, if you'd like to browse more of uh, our material, take a look at extremeselfprotection.com or run over to our blog, Indigenous Ability. Uh, of course, you know, like, share, subscribe to the podcast helps everything out, I'm told. How, I don't know how algorithms work. I'm an idiot. You crew, uh, take care of yourself.
Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, ExtremeSelfProtection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. <laughs>